Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. I'm standing outside the Dublin bus Broadstone Depot near Fibsra in Dublin city centre. I'm here to meet Ray Coyne, the chief executive of Dublin Bus, who's going to shortly be giving me a tour of this fine facility, a 15 million euro investment by the state company uh, to make it into a modern depot to house and maintain its fleet of buses. Ray is going to be telling me about the COVID-19 impact on Dublin bus. He'll also be talking about its plans to diversify into e-scooters and and beyond and we'll be talking a little bit about the future of work and also the future of public transport in our capital city but first Ray is going to take me on a little tour of Broadstone. So as you can see we're in the middle of what's a new restored building. We have the original steel columns um, that we've all kept and this originally would have been a railway station and so you can see some of the railway tracks uh, still in the concrete um, which are a good reminder of the historical past of Broadstone. We do have our overhead gantry cranes, which uh, we refurbished. That's part of the old, but also in this building, we have some of the new modern technology. So what we have in front of us are three hoists for our buses, so you can just raise the bus off the ground, do some work underneath that, and bring the buses down to floor level again. And inside we have uh, pits where the bus would drive in on a level and the mechanics would go down underneath the buses uh, and maintain them. So a nice mix of the old and the new in this building. You can see the old walls, which would have been here in 1847. Um, so in order to build a, a new building of this size, it requires a lot of concrete, which obviously has a big impact on the environment. So we've required 80% uh, less concrete to develop this building. And the concrete that we use is uh, eco-friendly concrete, so it's 15 times less impactful on the environment than traditional concrete. So, Ray, can I just ask you, how many people or how many Dublin bus employees are based on this site? So in Dublin Bus altogether, we've three and a half thousand employees. Um, in the footprint of the Broadstone site and operations as a transport hub for Dublin, we'll have well over a thousand employees. Um, in this Broadstone facility itself, um, with our drivers operation, uh, mechanics, our supervisors, we'll have over 400 employees. In our Fibsra site, um, there's over 600 employees. And then you've got Bus Erin, which operate out of the same site as us. So in terms of the local economy, uh, engagement of partners in Dublin 7 and we, we work closely with Fibsra Tidy Towns um, as part of the development of this site. Uh, we worked with Swift Conservation Ireland um, we got the first semi-state to have Swift nesting boxes as part of the overall build and we have some nice wildflower gardens so we need to have amenities for all these people and employees um, to be able to use so when you look around the, the wider Fibsra catchment area a lot of redevelopment been done in this area there's a lot of downstream employment created by having an employment centre which is essentially between 
13 and 1500 employees so you know all our employees will go out they'll get a sandwich they'll get a coffee sure. buy a newspaper so i think it's really good for the area what's the investment in this site uh, total investment is 15 million euro a strategic asset for the state um, a location that has historically been a transport location and I think it's wonderful to see a building that was built in 1847 as a public transport building it's still been used for the purpose it was designed for and I think that's really good for the city. So Ray we're obviously in a depot where you house your hop on hop off buses and they all look uh, spick and span at the minute they're all in splendid green there's about 20 of them uh, housed here at the minute but unfortunately no tourists uh, to hop on and hop off them so Tell us a little bit about that and how that side of the business has been impacted. Yeah, in terms of the, our do Dublin tour buses, um, part of our commercial operations, um, which this time last year was a 23 million euro revenue business. Um, when we came into last March, uh, naturally the tourism industry dried up. So um, we made a quick decision uh, looking to what the expectations were for the outrun for 2020. Um, and we ceased operations, um, put the buses in storage, uh, which you can see here now in the reconditioned area of Broadstone um, and we'd be hopeful that they'd be back in use um, if not this year certainly for the tourist season um, in 2022 all things been good. Right so even with the vaccination program being rolled out and the fact that the government is hopeful that you know the majority of adults will be done by September and so forth and we're all being encouraged to staycation you reckon these are going to remain housed here for the rest of this year? Well, we monitor, obviously, what government guidelines are. We, we talk to our industry partners in the tourism, tourism industry. Um, the one good thing about the bus services is you can mobilise them very quickly. So we look at a four-week lead-in. If all the indications are that there be um, a significant tourism presence, you know, we're readily available to be able to assist the tourism partners. And, of course, one of the good things with a hop-on, hop-off tour bus, it's open top, so there's plenty of ventilation in those. And so if, that's the, if, if, if the city is able to take tourists in a safe manner, we'll certainly be front and centre on that. So Ray, your fleet is going to change over the next number of years. Uh, tell us about that move towards electric and what, what it's going to involve for Dublin Bus. Yeah, I mean, the, the move to electrification is part of our sustainability strategy. Um, we've been, we've a long history of actually trialling new technologies in our buses, going back 20 years when we had compressed natural gas buses. Um, what we have coming into Broadstone now is um, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. So you can see down there, there's some parking bays, the infrastructure going in, uh, and that'll allow the buses operate um, a number of kilometres in the city centre uh, on pure electric, so zero tailpipe emissions. Um, that's most welcome. Our ultimate plan in terms of sustainability is um, we, we want to halve our emissions by 2030. Um, we will do that through the purchase of battery-only electric vehicles um, the NTA will purchase vehicles on our behalf and we will have some, uh, a significant number of hybrid electric coming in this year, up to 100. Uh, and we think by 2022, we'll start to introduce full battery electric vehicles in our fleet. And 2030, we will have 65% um, uh, reduction in our total emissions. OK, Ray, thanks for that tour. Uh, let's go and have a sit down now and talk a little bit more in depth about how Dublin Bus has been impacted by COVID and your future plans. So, Ray, we're currently in level five lockdown, which means I think that 20, only 25% of your capacity is available. And obviously people have been encouraged to work from home. So maybe that's not such an issue, um, the 25%, given that so many people are working from home. But maybe you can just tell us a little bit about how 
COVID-19 has impacted on Dublin bus. I think in 2019, you carried about 143 million passengers. What was the outcome in 20? Yeah, so uh, like, like every other organisation, COVID uh, has had a huge impact. Um, one of the key things, uh, I suppose, that has benefited us as we've gone through COVID is um, we were in a good place pre-COVID, uh, like the economy really, um, in terms of the fundamentals of the business. We're in good shape, um, we good performance, we good investment. Uh, good fleet of vehicles and employees. So I think in the years leading into 2020, um, we were in good shape. That certainly benefited us as we went through COVID. So COVID probably had an impact, obviously, on financials, um, the way we work as well. Um, and then there was around the, the employees, how we need to manage the employees. So I think financially, there, there was obviously a big decrease in passenger numbers uh, as government introduced um, the restrictions and people working from home um, but at the same time there was significant engagement with government around the status of an essential service um, and so Dublin Bus was classed as an essential service we're not frontline employees but it was recognised early on that you need the public transport system so people can still move around the city and while the work from home was in place there was still 50,000 people a day moving around the city last March and April uh, at the height of the original lockdown um, what were those uh, people doing on our buses? They were travelling in to open up the essential services that people need to use. So these were doctors, there were nurses, there was people who were stacking shelves in shops, they were manning the tills yeah. in shops, um, they were opening up the pharmacies, and then there was people who obviously had to use that to get there. So, okay, so you had 143 million mm. in 2019. What was the outcome? So the outcome for 2020, we'll, obviously we'd sign off on our, our accounts, but it was a 50% reduction. Um, passenger numbers and uh, commensurate reduction in what would have been your revenue off the passenger base. So that's quite a significant reduction. Um, we did manage our fleet, um, you know, as as one of the benefits um, of, you know, when we came into COVID nineteen, you know, we, we not, nobody knew what was happening. Like nobody knew how how long it was going to last, what it would look like, and what we did know early on was going to be more difficult coming out of it and going into it. Um, and we engaged with our partners, that we uh, global transport partners, and what we were able to do very early on was look to Asia and see what was happening over in Asia with the public transport operators. And what, what became apparent fairly quickly was a couple of things. One, the, the, the cities were going to be locked down, um, but the public transport was always going to operate. So even in Wuhan, the buses still ran in Wuhan. They didn't carry people, but they carried groceries and they carried medical supplies, but they still operated. And... and so uh, what we did was, we said, look, this is going to be long term, uh, this is going to be an issue and uh, there, there will obviously be an impact on government resources in terms of finances, uh, capital expenditure and uh, the economy. So we introduced some practices, um, work practice changes um, to reduce overtime uh, and to manage our cost base. Um, we did reduce our the operations on the road. So while our passengers went down to minus 90%, uh, 90%, we still operated 82% of our services on the road uh, every day. And that was to make sure that those who did travel could do so in a socially distant manner, um, but also to make sure that mobility options were there for those people. I suppose just to give people a context for uh, maybe how it's impacting on the business at the minute, how many buses in your fleet, how many would, pre-pandemic, how many would have been on the road on a given day? So we have a fleet of uh, 1,000 buses and on the road you'd have uh, 850 vehicles Eight, on the 850, bus. okay. So today, how many buses will you have on the road? So it's around 690 buses on the road today. 
Yeah, so it's still, it's still a substantial number. Yeah, a substantial number of buses. And what, what we need to do is keep the city moving. People, people still need to make essential journeys. Um, what we'll carry today, we'll carry around 130,000 customers today. Um, they'll be coming in for work. You know, we'll have new customers coming in today using the bus to go to school. Um, they need to do that. So that's interesting. In the first lockdown, you were carrying 50,000, March, April, around that time. Today, it's about 130,000. Yeah. So, but there are three times as many. Yeah, even though the, we're in level five, there's there's a significant change. But I think the the lockdown levels that we have now it's slightly different than the previous lockdown that we had last year. So there's some additional services open now that wouldn't have been open um, back last March. So th- you know that that in itself would attract additional footfall, um, office workers. So what we'll see in the next few weeks is as people plan to open up for the retail. So there'll be people coming in in advance of the retail actually been open because the employees will come in to get the stores ready to get the new lines of stock out. So it's important that Dublin Bus is there to provide the service because the business community needs to know that their customers and their employees can get to the place of work in a safe manner and that that will drive the economy forward then. So um, there are additional people using the service, um, but uh, I think it is a slightly different lockdown than it was the last time. So there's more. So on average, how many people sitting on a bus are on a given journey? So the, the most we can take on a, a journey now with 25% is, you know, you're talking just north of 30 um, passengers. So uh, we monitor that on a daily basis if additional customers are coming out in particular areas. We'll add an extra bus tomorrow. So we'll have operated this morning. I got a report in this morning saying we were generally fine. Um, so, you know, and obviously we have people out there with the return to schools. If there's an area, an area identified where we need additional buses, we will put them on. Uh, and we have the resilience built into the system uh, that we have drivers there available and we have buses available. So I think well, our average carrying, obviously, you, you know, the off-peak, there's less. So the average carrying per bus now is in the order of 20 a bus. Um, and, but that obviously fluctuates. So what we did experience, you know, traditionally your peak commute journey time would have been a kind of seven to half, eight type time. Um, and what we did see during the, the lockdown was that shifted. So it shifted a lot earlier. Um, and that was a dynamic around what people, you know, which customers were able to work from home, what office type activity could work from home and what people needed to come in uh, and access. So our, our early morning peak is now around between half five and seven o'clock, which is, you know, so and that's a lot of people going, uh, you know, where were we taking some of these? We were taking them out to the Pfizer and the pharmaceutical companies that were, you know, helping to combat uh, COVID um, into hospitals early morning staff going into hospital so uh, we put some additional shuttle buses on where that was identified so uh, last year we had a it's a nice initiative with the shuttle bus on for six months for the matter hospital in conjunction with ourselves the matter hospital um, uh, from a hotel car park and so they had free parking in a hotel car park we provided a free shuttle bus uh, and that, that was just i suppose our way of trying to help and recognize the work because you, you have the essential workers and, and i've seen how busy our employees are and you know um but the essential workers, the frontline workers, what they've done is extraordinary and they have to do it every day. Sure. Um, you know, and a lot of those would be Dublin bus customers and we, you know, we need to make sure that you know, if we say that there's a bus there at a particular time, it's got to be there for those people at a particular time. And we, we've, you know, It's something we're very proud of that we've been able to do that. Uh, really positive feedback. Um, I think strong recognition of the whole ecosystem. It's, it's not disparate parts of the community. It's, everything needs to be integrated. So... We need to make sure Dublin Bus is there to provide access. And as we come in, you know, that'll be even more important now as we come into a growth economy. So, you know, we're talking to employers, we're talking to agencies saying, what do, you know, what's the future work look like? 
how can Dublin bus and public transport help that? It'll change, but we need to be able to you know, step into that to give comfort to businesses as we all emerge from this. What about the financial hit to the business? I think revenues were in 2019 were 260 million. I saw it reported earlier this year that revenues for last year probably will finish up around 110 million. Is that about right, that ballpark? In, in terms of finances, look, we have to finish off our audited mm-hmm. accounts. But yeah, I mean, the, the, there's two revenue streams we have um, for 2020. And there's obviously Fairbox revenue, which is the customers paying on the bus um, directly. Uh, and then we would have um, grants from the government via the NTA. Um, public service obligation grant. Um, so, you know, th- th- there's been a step change in those this year. So our fare box revenue would have decreased, you know, 50% of what would have been 260 million um, uh, in that order. Um, our operating costs, we did reduce our operating costs. As I said, we came into COVID in a really good shape. Um, we maintain that. We, we, you know, we're very conscious in Dublin bus that we receive taxpayers' funding. So, Every, every euro that we invest, we need to make sure it's invested as efficiently as possible. So just to be clear, the 260 million, that relates to overall income or just uh, what you take from fares and costs? So that would have been fares. And then what, what you would have, the way the public transport systems work is you have an overall operating cost. Yeah. Um, that was north of 300 million. Um, and the difference then will be made up from public service obligations. So, um, and that would be, you know, you're operating a bus uh, 10 past 10 at night out somewhere. So um, we operate 24-hour services. They're not full, but they do a public service remit. So um, what we have been able to do and, and continuous focus on is reduce what would be classed as the public service obligation uh, on the taxpayers. So over the last seven years, we've been able to reduce that year on year. Um, last year, that finished out at 40 million um, on a 300 million euro contract. And that would be one of the kind of strongest performances in Europe. Um, with regards to the service that we did carry out. What, what we engaged with the government um, early last year and we will continue to operate the services and be funded for the service that we operated. Uh, and the government would recognise that, well, the revenue won't be there because we're imposing a 25% reduction, recognising that people still need to go to hospitals, go to doctors. Um, so there would be a gap there that would be funded by the government and via so the NTA. What was the financial support from the government last year? So the, the final outrun for our um, total operations would be north of 270 million, but again, uh, yet to be audited. So uh, our fare box revenue would have been um, would have decreased by around 50%. Um, again, to be uh, just to do a few final checks with regards to auditing of financial accounts, but um, the government support then would have been upwards of around 170 million um, for last year, um, and that was as a result of maintaining the services that we operate. Uh, um, as I said, the minimum we went down to is 82% of services continue to operate, even though the capacity restrictions were there. So um, we did have some direct costs uh, as a result, so less mileage operated equals less fuel. But we would have introduced significant savings um, at the early part of the year through overtime, rotor management, annual leave. Um, and that, that did two things. One, it gave our employees um, a break. Um, they know where to go, but you know, it was important that they were able to switch off and B, built resilience into our system so that our employees were fresh when they were back in work, um, that we were able to guarantee the service for the customers to make sure that they could operate. Um, and sure. So between the two, um, we were able to reduce our cost base by about 10%, um, and every euro that we would save on that was a euro that the government would be able to reinvest, either in other public transport services or essential services. Ray, I suppose anybody who's used Dublin bus over the years will have experienced at some point or another a bus that's absolutely jammed full of people. 
uh, all the seats taken, lots of people standing, maybe it's a bad day, the windows are fogged up, it's wet, it's miserable. Are those days gone uh, post, you know, post-COVID? Hopefully we get out the far side of this. Or will they return? Um, have you figured that out yet? Because what we know now about the virus and how it's spread and social distancing and everything, I, I just fancy that people aren't going to want to be cheek by jowl on a bus like that. Anymore. Yeah, I mean, you look again, we can we can look at indicators over in Asia um, in terms of they'd be about six months ahead of us. And, you know, there's varying um, transformations that have happened over there in terms of the wider economy um, their employment uh, and the public transport system. So um, some networks are back to 100%. Um, pre-COVID levels of passengers. Um, some cities have congestions. That's 30% above pre-COVID. That's not sustainable. Um, I think for Dublin Bus, we've been engaging with uh, government. We've been engaging with key significant businesses um, to see what's their expectation of what their return to work is going to be. How can we adapt to that? How can we meet their needs? I think there's some key trends emerging. Um, nobody knows exactly how it's going to pan out, but I, I think from Dublin Bus's point of view, there'll definitely be a change in the way people uh, integrate with public transport systems. Um, the office, to me, the office is always going to have a future. Um, might be different. Uh, I think the office of the future will be an area where you collaborate with staff. You, you know, you, you get in and you get ideas going and, and face-to-face and, you know, mix them with people. You know, that, that's definitely a, a beneficial area for the office. Um, so I don't think people are going to come in and sit at their desk and spend eight hours doing emails in an office, you say, no, you probably do that at home. Um, so there will be a, a different dynamic around how many people come into the city or into the workplace and what time they come in at. And we've seen greater flexibility from employers, um, which wouldn't have been there previously, that you know, it's okay to come in at 10 o'clock in the morning um, and go home at 8 o'clock at night, and you're avoiding both kind of transport peaks. So I think the, the peaks will flatten a bit. Um, I think we need to really watch out for congestion, uh, the return of congestion. Um, there, there's, you know, we monitor all the research in public transport and there's been no empirical evidence of any uh, spread of COVID as a result of public transportation. But, you know, people would have concerns and, you know, they're valid concerns because the, the people would have those. So um, what we do is, is, you know, we've introduced significant investment in our safety systems. Um, our buses would be cleaned three times a day. They get a deep clean every month. They're washed out every night. Um, swept out every night. We've people on site today cleaning buses to be able to terminate cleaning buses. So you've got to restore customers' confidence and employers' confidence that the employers will let people uh, go back to work in, in mass mode transport. Urban cities need mass mode public transportation. It, it doesn't work on single mode of transport. So the private mode, there's a role for a car, but not as a, an individual's um, and, and at top of the hierarchy. That That's not a sustainable city. So I think... To work from home, there will certainly be more working from home, but if, if you look at what that requires, you know, it's going to require legislation, and, and that might be a popular thing to say, and it's, but that's going to, it's going to be required. It's going to require IT infrastructure. It's going to require data security. And when you think of the industries that people are going to be asked to work from home, the data that transfers, so you're going to need data security and protocols around that. Um, you're going to need to certainly bring people into the workplace for... Um, idea generation and stuff like that camaraderie right that that you know people look yeah. we've done surveys 80 percent of people say they like this it's termed you know you can hear the term now blended environment 80 percent of people like that you know i'm i'm growing up i live in a house i work out of my office uh two days a week my office is a box room 
right? But we have employees who live in an apartment, who share an apartment with others. And, you know, it's easy when everybody has to do something together. Like, everybody just say, yeah, we've no choice, we all have to clear out. Um, I think what, you, what you'll have when people come back into the office and some come in and some don't, I say, you know, we've we got to be careful as a society that we don't get the worst of both worlds. That, and, and I think there's, you know, what we're seeing now through the recruitment process is there, there's people you're recruiting in now and they've no real sense of what the culture is of your organisation. And at the same time, you have people, you know, we, we pride ourselves that we're a, a company that has long-term employees, so th there's going to be a, a risk to the Irish economy, not just Dublin Bus, that people near the retirement age will may retire earlier than they would have because the world's a different place and it might be something that they're like, oh, I've spent two years locked away now, I think I just want to take a bit of time out to enjoy. They may not like what the future of work is in terms of this blended environment. So we have a lot of knowledge going out. At the same time, you've this, you know, if you're bringing people into the organisation, you can say, how do you get the culture if they're all working from home and you never see them? And it can be done. But it's vastly different to what we have today. And Ray, has the pandemic accelerated the move towards uh, cashless payments on Dublin bus? Yeah, for sure. Um, we, you know, we've obviously we have our leap ticket uh, on our buses. Um, we've been trying to move people to cashless um, bus services for over the last decade, anyway. Um, and the way we've done that is through introduction technology. So we've our leap card. And we've obviously other uh, Rambler product tickets, uh, etc. But um, we heavily discounted those versus versus cash fares. Um, so you get thirty percent discount if you had a, a a ticket rather than having to pay cash, and that was that was a major lever to move people across. Um, Pre-COVID, um, we were eighty-five percent of our fare collection was through technology, and that was through ticketing, um, and fifteen percent cash. Um, we'll we'll see, you know, as people come back to work, um, we're very low base now in terms of passengers on the bus so um, but that ratio is still there um, but what we'll see in the future we need to and again we're talking to the NTA about this you need to have innovative ticketing um, to allow people choose products that moves them further away from cash um, we need to move away from a physical card so your token so you know pay for your phone pay with your Apple watch so account based ticketing is in place in other cities I think COVID will expedite the investment in that here in Ireland um, but I, I do think ultimately you know, there's some cities that are cashless, but, you know, you need to be conscious of what's right for the people in Dublin and the people who use our bus services. And there will be people, and you need the ticketing infrastructure in place to say, look, if you can only afford to pay one cash fare today and then, you know, maybe tomorrow, uh, you need to make sure that they still have access to the transport system. So what you can't do is exclude people by saying, look, you need to bump up front with a 20-year-old deposit on a ticket or something and then we'll give you a discount, because they may not have that. Um, so that'll be a decision that needs real careful consideration, but we're effectively you know, edging towards you know, 90% cashless at present, um, and I think a lot of people's behaviours around um, paying for cash in stores, you see some stores now saying, look, we don't want any cash. So people move away, but I do think um, we, we carry a huge customer ba base from all areas, and, and I, I do think the one thing is make sure the products you have let people get access because public transport is about access to mobility and those people need to travel to areas and so there's some customers that will say look I'll use the bus they might only use it once a month and they might say but look you know sure. I'm lucky to have this you know you mentioned mobility uh, we know you for buses but I've seen reports that you're looking at e-scooters and minivans what are the plans 
Yeah, so I think when you look at technology and transport, you know, these industries are merging. Um, we're no different than any other industry where technology is, you know, you look at fintech um, and what it's done there. You look at, I mean, you just need to look at the, the pharmaceutical industry and you look at Moderna and BioNTech, like they're, they're digital native companies, you know, that just happen to work in the pharmaceutical industry. You have the same coming into the transportation industry. These digital companies are coming in and, you know, disrupting the industry, uh, for want of a better word. So this is an area that's been explored. Um, COVID has probably pushed it on a few years faster than um, would have been. So we've been looking at uh, some partners in Europe. Um, and I do think the way, you know, you asked the question earlier around transportation, around working, you know, the return to work, what's going to look like. It will look different. Uh, I think it'll be integrated. People are going to want options. They're going to want transport. So it's mobility as a service. So, you know, I want to get a taxi. Just expenses. Uh, draws a picture, if you like, for how e-scooters are going to be part of the Dublin bus business plan going forward. Yeah, so if you, if you look at, you know, there's a famous saying in transportation and it's the difficult last mile or the difficult last kilometre. So the bus will take me so far or the train will take me so far. How do I do my last uh, journey in a sustainable mode? And what we've seen in, in Europe is the micro-mobility. So a lot of active mobility now with people cycling. Um, e-scooters are in there. So that's, you know, can you get people, give them an easier option to get to a transport mode. So we're in Broadstone Depot now. Broadstone is a transport hub. There's a college beside us. Are there ways that you can, you know, integrate the last kilometre journey for people to sustainable modes of transport? So be it cycle to bus to micromobility, they might want to Lewis, they might want to Dart. How can you make that as seamless and possible uh, as possible in terms of the ticketing infrastructure? And that's, you'd like an app and I'd like to choose how many journeys a month I want to use or... You know, you tell me afterwards through your, your um, AI technology what the cheapest journey would have been for me today. So, so you get on a bus, you arrive at a bus stop, and there might be an e-scooter there for you to yeah. get on. Of course, they're not legal on Irish roads at the minute. but Yeah, there's, there's legislation there. And look, we're, we're a state-owned company. Um, I think what we need to look at with regards to the new modes of transport is, you know, the, the government are progressive. They are looking at sustainable modes. I think how do you introduce them? to complement the public transport network, to complement the requirements of the citizens. And one of the things we've seen is, you know, there's street clutter with scooters. You, you know, I've been into European cities and, you know, they're just, you know, scattered everywhere. You need to make sure that they're done in a responsible manner. So there, there's, a, there's a, you know, there's a way to regulate that. Um, that's where we would have strong views of how they should be regulated. There's a way to operate them. And there's a fit within the public transport system. I think as you look 10 years' time, um, we'll have shared mobility with cars, you know, so rather than um, carpooling, it's shared mobility. So you might use a car at the weekend and then somebody else will use it on the Monday, someone else on Tuesday. I think that fits in. I think the the demand response of transit, which would be minibuses, again, that's technology merging with transport operators. And instead of bus stop to bus stop, you'd have corner to corner um, transportation. Beyond demand, you'd have a nap. You'd, you'd push in and say, look, I want to I wanna get my bus and, you know, the algorithm will say, well, look, there'll be a bus there which within the next eight minutes. You go out, you jump on. There's no defined routes. It depends on what the demands are of the people at that time. You know, there'll be a few other people on the bus and it'll drop you off. Through the algorithms, through the technology, it'll say what the fastest route is. And now you've got seamless transport. You look at demand responsive transit and how it could fit into the future. A lot more people, you know, I live out in the suburbs. There's a lot more people in the local spa shop or the local coffee shop mooching around the system. A lot of them are driving there. It's not a long distance, but it might be too far to walk and say, well, okay, is a demand-responsive uh, transit an option for those that they're sitting at their desk, they hit their app, 
They know there'll be a bus down the, down the road. They go out, jump on. Ten minutes later, they're down having their coffee and then they're back. It's a sustainable transport ecosystem and Dublin Bus wants to be part of that. Dublin Bus has strong views on that. That's where we see the future going and we need to make sure that with our, you know, with the large employers and with our customers that we're meeting their needs, they'll tell us what transport systems they want and what we need to be in position is, look, here's how we think they can best be integrated into the system. You used to have a monopoly in this uh, city in terms of bus transport. Go Ahead Ireland are in the market now. They've got, what, 10% of the market and will probably get more, I would imagine, or maybe other players come into the market. I don't know. So what's the future for Dublin Bus in that environment? Well, we're, we're up, Dublin Bus has always been operating in a competitive environment. Um, we, we've, you know, the, the National Transport Authority implement government policy with regards to the procurement of public transport services. So we do have international operators here. Um, some are in the public service market, others are in the private industry. Um, we discussed our uh, outside our open top tours, so we've been in a competitive industry for 30 years there and built up a, a 25 million euro business. Um, we're good performers. Um, I think we've shown over the last year the purpose of the organisation and that has shone through for me with all the employees, 3,500 employees every day coming to work, um, you know, mobilising, making sure they came in a safe environment, being responsible. Um, we were advising government, we were advising the NTA, we were advising other transport operators um, of what can be done and what could be done in public transport network. Um, we'll continue to do that. We advise on public transportation networks, on bus connects, we advise on ticketing technology. So, you know, in Dublin Bus we've huge skill sets um, and we've, you know, we've discussed some of the, the, the great skills around mechanics that, um, and what we're showing below. So. But we are in a competitive tendering environment um, and we're acutely aware of that um, and we've been working towards um, enhancing our own competitiveness and you know really understanding our business model and what we need to make sure is that a we deliver a good service that's a high quality service um, and make sure we're future proof for tendering and there will be future tendering um, at the minute I've, I've no doubt about that um, we'll continue to compete with private operators on that and competition in, in any industry competition is positive if it ends up in a better product for your consumer. Would it make sense to privatise Dublin bus? Why does it need to be in state ownership? I think what you have is a state asset and the state asset is a strategic state asset and public transport is a strategic asset for the nation for the recovery of the economy and I think what we've seen the benefit over of uh, the last year is that the government having control over certain elements of the economy that we can manage. So Dublin Bus were implementing government policy rigidly and we were implementing cost-saving measures to make sure that we were doing our bit to help in whatever way we could for the economic recovery. I think having a strategic state asset is important. It's like a utility. So the government control through the NTA with the contracts. The contracts that we have have really stringent KPI targets. They're like any other uh, operating but the company. the Lewis operates fine. It's not owned by the, the government. The operator of the Lewis is known by the state. So the operator of the Lewis operates a contract to stringent KPIs. Dublin Bus operates a contract to stringent KPIs. If Dublin Bus operates a contract to stringent KPIs that meet the needs of the citizens, I think whether it's state-owned or not state-owned is, is almost a theoretical question. To me, it's are we delivering what the customer wants as efficiently as we can and to a good service. 
if the answer is yes, then you say, okay, is there a benefit of state ownership versus not state ownership? I think with a strategic state asset, benefit of state ownership, there are benefits there. I think we've seen that. So if I look at Lewis or if I look at other operators, I don't, I don't look at them and say, who owns them? I look at them and say, what's their performance like? Can Dublin Bus match their performance and can we beat their performance? If we can do that, I think something very proud for the Irish state is to say, here is a barometer of public transport operators. The state own this. We do it with other state industries. Public transport, no different. And that's something we should be proud of. And it's something 3,500 employees would say, yeah, proud to work here because we're good, you know. Talking about strategic assets, you've got depots in some very, uh, on some very prime sites mm-hmm. around Dublin, including Broadstone here, but uh, Rings End, Donnybrook, uh, very close to RTE. You've got Cunningham Road out by the Phoenix Park as one in Clontarf. And a lot of commentators talking about the housing crisis, which has been going on for more than a decade now, a lot of commentators would sort of look at those sites and say, why aren't we building housing on those sites? Why does Dublin Bus need to have a site in a prime location like Rings End or Donnybrook, etc., when they could be out on the outskirts of the city, uh, you know, maybe in, I don't know, somewhere around the M50 anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what would you say to that? So we have a depot on the M50, um, Harris Town, just out at the airport. But, so, but if, if you if you look here, where we're, we're sat here in Broadstone, um, 1847, that this uh, building um, was built, and it was a railway station um, back then. Um, the people back then had the foresight to say, we need strategic transport assets, um, we need to have transport hubs, um, and they located them, you know, in various areas around the city, and this one remains today. Um, on the footprint of this site, it's part of a regeneration of the Dublin 7 area. Um, we'll have employment of over a 1,000 people here, and there'll be downstream employment in the local community because of that. And there'll be people in the local community who work here, and they work here today. Um, we have shops that work here, we have a vibrant area, we have a college that's been built. So we're an integrated part of the community here. If you look at all our, our um, the land bank that we have and the depots that we operate out of, Dublin bus are going out. Um, at present, we're, um, we're going to tender for guidance and advice on all our depot sites with regards to the strategy of those. And what we're looking at is multi-purpose facilities on our sites. So you have a bus depot at present. Um, what can you do with a bus depot in the future in a city centre environment or out in the outskirts, wherever that may be? Um, if you look at a city centre environment, um, you'd say, well, you know, there's lots of room above the depot and there's also room below a depot. And what we've seen in uh, a number of cities is you can build above a bus depot and you can house your buses below below ground level um, and you can build above mixed-use, residential, etc. Um, we do it, uh, you know, it's transport-orientated development uh, globally and what you'll see is you'll see your metro station, your train station, your apartments above it so, you know, people live above the thing. Um, bus depots are no different. So we're going out, having a look at those. It's part of a, a strategic investment that Dublin Bus are looking at. Um, make sure... We've enough A, we've enough capacity in the network to make sure that we can help mobilise the return of the economy. Um, Broadstone building here today adds additional 120 fleet capacity to make sure that we have a sustainable recovery uh, so businesses and employers can actually get to work. I think uh, as part of a multi-use site, you can look at your rings end, you know, there's high-rise uh, apartments around that, so um, you can decant your buses out of rings end do some retrofitting, build above and put your buses back inside, uh, in. So uh, at the same time, absolutely, you can operate your buses from, you know, out at a, on the outskirts. Less efficient to operate public transport services from hubs on the outskirts um, for urban operations. Um, it is less efficient. 
you need to look at the sustainability of that. So Ringsend Depot, our bus routes start outside the bus depot. So there is, you know, extreme sustainability there in terms of routes uh, point to point. Um, and I think, you know, with a modern workplace um, and the sustainability agenda, Dublin Bus have gone out and saying, look, we, we have these depot assets there. What's the best use of those for the company and for the city? So there is the potential that down the road there could be housing built on some of these depots that I just mentioned? Well, there could be mixed re- residential or commercial use above them. There could be, um, and I've been to sites in Paris and Stockholm, and you're just walking down a normal high street, as they would say, and a bus will come out. And um, So, you know, the future buses in Dublin Bus is electrification, so, you know, these are quiet vehicles. Uh, the main maintenance of them is done um, at ground level. Um, and, you know, above them you'd have, you know, depends what the city wants. Is it uh, commercial? Is it residential? Is it public housing? Um, when whatever is required. Uh, we're going to tender this year um, for feasibility studies. Um, so that's uh, it's due in the next two months. Um, so that's something we've been working on in the background um, because, you know, we're, we're not wedded to this can only ever be something here, you know. Uh, what we're looking at is, you know, what, what's the future possibilities in these sites? And I think we've seen that here with Broadstone. Right. Well, that's very interesting. Have you any sense of uh, how much housing you might be able to build or... Um, or what the sites might be worth, or how much commercial you might get into them? Well, I think if you, if you look at the sites that we have, they're all operational. Every, every single one of the sites is operational. Um, that's the primary objective of the bus depots, is to be operational bus sites. Um, and I think what, what, you, what you have is, you know, there's obviously the Land Development Agency, and we've, you know, we've discussed, met them um, last year. Uh, we have our COE group, who would um, be major property holders. And what you've got to see is, what, what are the operational needs for a mo- mobility in the city. It's an urban environment, you know, people are still going to need to come into the city. Um, I think that the population is going to increase, um, so office space is still going to remain um, slightly different, but you're still going to need vast amount of people to come into the city, so you're going to have to bring them in on public transport if we want it to be sustainable. Um, so, you know, we have eight bus depots. Um, I think what we have is a requirement now to operate a 1,000 vehicles. Within the next 10 years, it'd be required for Dublin Bus to operate 1,300 vehicles. So that's a big site, uh, an additional depot that'd be required on top of the depot we're sitting in today. Um, and, you know, there's, there's two factors then. You'd be looking at the, you know, it's the economics of building above a depot. And, and so the economics will have a key factor. And then obviously there'd be the, the you know, we're a state-owned asset, you know, commercial, but we're a commercial semi-state. And, you know, we're saying, look, there's... There's options in our current footprint, but there's also options that we can look at. But we do need strategic state assets. I think we, we do see every so often very visible cues of why bus depots are important and why they're situated where they are, and that's immediate access to the bus network, to the roads network. So, and, and where we really see that come to the fore is you know, in extreme weather events, which are getting more and more frequent. So pre-COVID, climate was the number one issue. That's going to be the number one issue after COVID. So, you know, there's been, you know, for the last 10 years, we've had, I think, three extreme weather events. We've had flooding events. Um, what's important was that the buses were able to get access to the bus network straight away. And we're in Broadstone today, and you have a bus lane right outside. You've access to the city centre. That's important because the economy still needs to move, you know. So I'm sure you've war-gained this. So what's your best guess as to when your entire fleet might be back on the road um, working at, Full tilt. I think the entire fleet will be back working on the road full tilt in quarter two this year. 
no question. Um, uh, the capacity issue, that'll be a decision for the government around how many people can go on, but in terms of our... Well, when I say full tilt, I mean a full capacity. Full capacity. Again, um, what, what's full capacity of the future? Um, the operating model in public transport might change. So, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, so you sweat the assets are... There's a phrase, tree bell load, would have been, you know, a public transport phrase where when the bus is full, the conductor used to pull on the rope three times, ding, 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 bus is full, work away. Um, you know, what's a full bus of the future? Are people going to stand... Um, 15 people standing on the lower deck of a saloon? Maybe not. Um, will it be safe to do so? The, the bus is certainly a safe environment. Um, so I, I think what you'll have is an operating model that, you know, you, you know, define what a full bus is. It might be 80% capacity. And that might be termed, now it's a full bus. I think the days, and we've moved away from this. You see in Asia, you would have seen the old pictures of the person in the Japanese metro station with the white gloves on pushing people onto the tram. They're gone, um, and they operate in Asia. 80% full is a full vehicle now. And the reason they do that is because they've gone through the, the viruses before, so we've had respiratory viruses, so they had SARS. And what they realised then was, look, you know, after SARS, like, people just, their behaviour changed. And so over there, a full bus is an 80% full bus. And, and I think, to me, that's probably where we'll get to a figure around 80% will be deemed a full, of course, to keep the same level of service, you now need 20% additional fleet to carry the same amount of passengers. So for us to carry 143 million customers again, you're going to need an additional 20% of fleet. Then you've got to build in the work from home scenario and how often are people going to use those. And um, what you still have to plan for is everybody might want to come in at a particular time. Um, so I think the commute patterns will shift a little bit. So I think 80% would be the new kind of 100% if, if, if that makes sense. Um, and we build our, our, our operating model. Yeah, build our operating model and our expectations off that. And I think government have seen it. I think business, business communities have seen it. That w what's public transport for? Like before you might have been, you know, somebody look at a bus or a, a tram or a train and say, that's a waste of money. It's not full. It's not packed to the gills. It's like, no, that's serving a purpose. And the purpose is, you know, mobility is for the many, but it's for the benefit of them all. And, and I think, you know, the, the mindset must be invest in, in public transport, invest in employment, not just public transport, not just Dublin bus now, but invest in employment, invest in our cities so people can move around and have choice to move around. And that's where the micro-mobility and the demand response and the technology firms play a role. And, and what you'll have then is, what's the value of this? And it's like, well, you can get to work. You're healthy, safe environment. You can choose to come and go at whatever time. Because what, you, what you'd have today is somebody say, well, why are people coming in at 9 o'clock? They're all coming in. It's because their employers all told them. You got By the way, do you get the bus to work every day? Not every day. But I'm a, I'd be what you call a multimodal public transport person. Like, so many days a week I'm you drive to the office? Um, I have driven. I drove today because I was parking. No. I will say this, it's an electric car, so that's the one, the one good thing I have. But uh, generally I would cycle. Um, that would be my modus operandi. Um, Covid changed a bit of that because thing, but I'd be conscious not to use the bus because, well, I go into the office maybe twice a week and it's, you know, it's an essential journey. But I'm conscious of the people on the bus that, hey, listen, you know, if, if there's somebody else who's gone to a frontline essential thing, I'll let them on the bus. Um, what I do... I've always been a public chance, like, yeah, I don't drive much at all. Um, but I do understand I need to. 
and you know sometimes my my job might demand that I'd, I'd drive the car so pre-covid I'd drive out to the depots in the morning I'd drive out to them at night because I wanted to visit a few so I'm not going to do that on a bus because it wasn't a bus route that suited but um, I'd, I'd be yeah you'd see me on the bus you'd see me on the train you'd see me on the bike that would be my primary mode would be the bike but I think the bus I've always used the bus I think it's good um, I think it's good that our employees who are exceptional and have been exceptional right through this um, because we were sending them out saying look we need you to continue operating and you know yeah. potentially they're in fear but I think they'd see you on the bus and I think they appreciate it and sure look at my Twitter account there's pictures of me all over the buses there you know and it's promoting public transport and I promote all modes so I'm not just a, a bus is good and everything else is bad I think it's mobility is good uh, sustainable sustainable mobility is good and you know that'll change you know Alright Ray Coyne Chief Executive of Dublin Bus thank you for joining us at business Thank you very much Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Ray Coyne, Chief Executive of Dublin Bus. Declan Conlon produced the show this week. Uh, remember, you can get the latest Irish Times business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care and stay safe. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com